Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome uh, to this uh, Euractiv uh, conference, uh, how the European Union is advancing its agenda in Central Asia, uh, Kazakhstan's role in, uh, in interregional cooperation. Uh, my name is Georgi Kotov. Uh, I'm a journalist uh, with Euractiv, and uh, it will be my pleasure to uh, moderate uh, this uh, debate. Uh, our uh, distinguished uh, uh, speakers include uh, uh, Petris uh, Ustubs. Uh, he is uh, director for Middle East, uh, Asia, and Pacific at uh, DG Intra International uh, Partnerships at the European Commission. Uh, Lynn Guttels, uh, she is the director of uh, the European uh, Institute for Asian Studies in Brussels. Uh, uh, Oybek uh, Shaikhov is uh, Secretary General of uh, uh, EUROS, uh, that is the uh, Europe-Uzbekistan uh, Association for Economic uh, Cooperation. Uh, uh, online uh, uh, will join us uh, Fabienne Bossuit. She is Associate Professor and uh, Coordinator of the Ghent Institute for International and European Studies at the Ghent uh, University. Hello, Fabienne. Uh, and uh, last but not least, uh, Timur uh, Sultan Gozin, who is the deputy head of uh, the mission of uh, Kazakhstan to the uh, European uh, Union. Uh, now, uh, allow me, uh, before we go into uh, the issues, to say a few words of sympathy. Uh, Monday was a day of uh, national mourning uh, uh, to honor uh, forest workers who lost uh, their lives while trying to uh, extinguish wildfires uh, in the Abai region of uh, eastern Kazakhstan. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, while we uh, discuss issues uh, today, uh, climate change uh, uh, will be one of them. Uh, Central Asia is in indeed on its uh, front lines. And uh, uh, I was in uh, uh, Astana uh, last week uh, attending the Astana International Conference and I, I heard President uh, Kasim Jomar Tokayev saying that uh, even if uh, thanks to global efforts uh, uh, we limit global temperature uh, rise to 1.1 degrees uh, Celsius by 2050, which, by the way, is unlikely. Uh, still, uh, Central Asia will experience between two and uh, two and a half degrees Celsius of temperature rise, uh, which will, um, to a great degree, transform or even uh, desertify uh, and uh, dehydrate uh, the local environment of uh, Central Asia. But we will, we will come back, come back to that. Uh, now, uh, a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Uh, we have a full room here, here in Brussels, and we have uh, uh, an audience uh, uh, online. Uh, all of you uh, can uh, join the debate uh, by uh, using Slido. Slido right now appears on your screens for those uh, who are online, and for those in the room, you can see the QR code uh, uh, in, in, in the back of the, of the room. Uh, if uh, 
you can ask your questions uh, using Slido, which means uh, that I will receive them on this tablet, so you don't need to raise your hand. But please uh, say uh, who you are and to whom you are uh, asking, uh, asking your, your questions. Um, we will try to uh, have a lively debate. This is why I'm going to uh, ask uh, the speakers uh, to make a brief uh, statement uh, uh, in the beginning. Um, please, no more than five minutes. Even, even less is possible. Then uh, we will come back uh, with the debate, uh, uh, with follow-up uh, questions uh, from, from the audience and, and from, from the moderator. Uh, as I said, I was in, uh, in Astana and I realized uh, how busy uh, the EU-Kazakhstan uh, uh, schedule is. There were uh, visits by two uh, vice presidents of the European uh, Commission. Uh, very recently, uh, there was a visit uh, by uh, the council president and uh, uh, much more uh, to come. Uh, but uh, I'm sure that uh, our, the first uh, speaker on my list is uh, well positioned uh, uh, to present uh, this part of the EU-Kazakhstan agenda. Uh, so I'm giving the floor to uh, Petris uh, Ustubs. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for organizing this event. I think it is very uh, timely and uh, would like to thank Euractive for uh, giving the possibility to, to be on this panel and discuss uh, uh, Central Asia and uh, Kazakhstan in particular. Uh, thank you for that uh, uh, possibility. Um, I should start by saying that geopolitically uh, Central Asia, I think, is extremely uh, active uh, in the recent month, a year. 18 months, um, playing a very uh, interesting and pro-dominant pro and wide role in, in many, uh, many aspects. Uh, and uh, we see that actually from Central Asian side, uh, European Union is not left out of equation, uh, but rather than uh, we are part of uh, by far more broader um, geopolitical outreach by Central Asia. In that respect, the EU is playing the ball. Uh, we uh, respond to that uh, geopolitical interest because I think uh, our interests and our cooperation uh, and um, future perspectives as we see them really go into the same direction. Um, we had, uh, you already alluded, uh, quite uh, significant political outreach. Uh, it started not only during the last couple of weeks, uh, but it is all since uh, last year. And what is important, I think, to stress that we see more and more that uh, we go beyond political declarations and political meetings and things are started to be translated into a proactive uh, agenda uh, of rather wide coverage. Uh, first of all, I have to thank uh, uh, Kazakhstan for hosting uh, less than a month ago second uh, European Union Central Asia Economic Forum in uh, Almaty. Uh, it was a second one. Uh, the first one was in Bishkek uh, in 2021. But this time we have seen that actually our uh, ambitions grow. Uh, we had a very good coverage and I would like to thank Kazakhstan for being a very good host. Um, and uh, the European Union at that uh, 
event was represented by Executive Vice President of the European Commission, uh, Valdis Dombrovskis. Um, that was another occasion for meeting politically the leadership of Central Asia, but at the same time we had uh, three prominent topics on the agenda to, to discuss at the Economic Forum. First of all, business climate in Central Asia. Secondly, digital and green uh, transition. And thirdly, transport uh, corridors. So those were the three uh, main, uh, main aspects. Um, our bilateral relations with Kazakhstan are very rich and uh, they are very solid. Of course, we have all the pre-requirements uh, related to the legal base uh, for the relations with Kazakhstan in place. But at the same time, uh, we have a few other elements I would like to, to mention where we are actively moving forwards. Uh, first of all, it is green and climate-related agenda. We launched uh, last year uh, our Team Europe initiative on water, energy and climate. Uh, we see um, growing interest and role Kazakhstan is playing uh, related to the hydrogen. And we can, uh, we can dwell on that uh, during the discussions. Uh, second big file uh, on our agenda is critical raw materials. Kazakhstan was the first country from Central Asia with whom the European Commission signed a memorandum of understanding on critical raw materials. And uh, we moved again uh, beyond um, this um, uh, memorandum as uh, during the Almaty Economic Forum, uh, the, we exchanged action plans between EU and Kazakhstan, how we are going, move, um, going to move forward uh, on critical raw materials uh, in, in the future. So I think from one side it demonstrates that the EU uh, and Kazakhstan are interested in uh, by far more deeper cooperation on critical raw materials. At the same time, I would not exclude that uh, this first memorandum indicates that probably there is a wider perspective also for other Central Asian governments to look into this file and potentially develop also as, as close cooperation with, uh, with the European Union. Um, the third file I would like to allude is digital. Um, Digital, uh, if you look at Central Asia, then probably, uh, statistically, uh, due to the geography, um, the digital connectivity of Central Asian countries are probably one of the less developed around the globe. Um, uh, geography and uh, the way connectivity has been done over many decades uh, describe it, why it is so. At the same time, um, we see that the modern technologies allow us to do more. So therefore, we are stepping up as the EU, our cooperation with Central Asians, individual countries, including Kazakhstan, to make sure that we move on on possible um, uh, satellite connectivity uh, with, uh, with uh, Central Asia individually. And that's our ambition is to ensure that 80% of the Central Asian uh, country territories are uh, connected uh, via satellites to, to the internet. And of course, uh, that is uh, not only aim on its own, uh, it has geopolitical, uh, let's say, implications, as well as it has sovereignty-related uh, uh, elements, which uh, nowadays, I think, play more and more uh, important role. Um, Next point, very briefly, is transport corridor. Uh, 
uh, transport corridor uh, and connectivity in wider sense, transport connectivity uh, is something what really needs to be high on the agenda between the EU and Central Asia, because even if there are a lot of potential economically, Central Asia is also one of those regions around the world which is the least connected with other international markets. Our interest is to ensure that uh, Central Asia is more connected, first of all, finding ways with the EU, uh, but also beyond to the other, other global markets. Uh, later this week, EBRD is going to publish um, its uh, full study on uh, sustainable transport corridors uh, through Central Asia. Uh, the uh, first go of uh, that study has been presented in Almaty. So uh, we will have a complete picture later this week. I'm not uh, presenting the results of that uh, study yet, but it is very substantial. It entails projects and it entails also concrete figures, how much actually the investments in Central Asia, including in Kazakhstan, uh, would be required to move forward with, um, with transport corridor. And that leads me to, to the point that, of course, studies are always good, but the best would be to do something with them. And uh, we, as the European Commission, together with partners in Central Asia, we will uh, organize Investors Forum uh, as early uh, as possible in 2024 to uh, discuss the outcomes of uh, the study presented by EBRD to ensure that there is a practical follow-up on um, projects presented in, uh, in, uh, in, the, in, in the document. I think I overspent already my five minutes, so therefore yes, I will but, stop. Uh, yeah, uh, you did well in naming uh, the main issues. Uh, we are going to discuss uh, further uh, critical raw materials, uh, green hydrogen, uh, uh, transport corridors, including the famous middle corridor uh, via the Caspian. Um, uh, so, uh, thank you for that. I think uh, it was it was useful to do it. Uh, uh, we'll go much deeper on, on each of these issues. Uh, the next speaker on my list is uh, Lynn Guttels. Uh, I'm tempted to, to start already uh, by questioning why is the uh, agenda uh, so so uh, kind of uh, active. Is it because of the uh, international uh, situation uh, we are facing? Well, I'm sure that has something to do with it. Um, I mean, of course, uh, we have seen a real increase of engagement from the EU side um, towards Central Asia. Um, if you look at, of course, its geographic location, that is no surprise. Um, we have Russia next to it, we have China next to it, and of course Turkey is very close as well. So um, as uh, our previous speaker has already mentioned, um, the connectivity it has is probably um, also one of the main issues at stake for the region. So um, it is centrally located, but it might not be as well connected. Um, so how can we actually connect the EU with Central Asia um, and go beyond that? Um, we have seen the, the summit, of course, now, uh, recently, now on the 2nd of June. Um, and I think some really good things came out of that. You already see that it's indeed going deeper into specific topics. It's no longer really only about the rhetorics and the narrative. Um, so we, what is the kind of action that we want to see and what can we actually do um, in and with Central Asia? Um, and to that extent, of course, um, I mean, we also really look forward to the EU Central Asia roadmap. Um, which is going to be presented at the next uh, ministerial. 
And of course, um, Uzbekistan has already announced that it will be hosting the next summit. So maybe we should be looking ahead to, to that and what we can do there. Um, so uh, I think the EU should also not be uh, too modest in what it can do, what role it has to play in Central Asia and in Kazakhstan, as specifically for Kazakhstan, of course. The EU is uh, its largest trade partner and, of course, it's also um, its largest investor. So, I mean, we do have a, a real stake in there and we, we do really have something to do there. Um, so the question is what? Um, looking at the region, uh, I think especially well, the young population, we have almost like half of the population which is uh, below 29 years old. So how can we engage them and actually build up to the future? Um, so to that extent, youth and education um, has already been uh, listed on the agenda. But how can we actually go uh, much more into depth of that? And I think... Um, maybe with the summit in uh, Uzbekistan coming up, um, maybe looking more at the grassroots and the people-to-people -people level as well. Not only looking at things at the highest level, but really engaging also like uh, youth and um, education. So to that extent, maybe it would be a good idea to include um, a youth summit and a higher education platform or summit to coincide with the uh, political one. And, of course, business is important, but um, who will bring that business? And it's probably going to be those young people. Um, besides that, of course, in terms of connectivity um, and the middle corridor, the middle corridor um, and connectivity is probably going to be the lifeline for Kazakhstan and Central Asia overall. So I think that is where it actually comes down to if you talk about like, why is the region so important besides geopolitical and geostrategic um, interests from the EU side. Um, so the question is more like how... Can that be established? And um, I believe also there is the, the stake and the role of other partners um, like Azerbaijan, like Turkey, that will be need to be taken into the uh, equation, of course. Um, sustainability has already been mentioned. There's now also the uh, sustainable energy cooperation. Um, and, and maybe like the connectivity uh, aspect there is also key. Um, I mean, Tokayev has recently mentioned that 15% um, of uh, its energy mix should become um, renewables by 2030. How is that going to happen? And uh, probably the EU also has a very important role to play there. I mean, water has been mentioned um, in different uh, platforms already and is going to be um, ever more uh, important. Um, the critical raw materials, but uh, you mentioned that we're going to uh, go deeper into that later on. Um, but also, how can we do that in a sustainable way? And I think that is one of the key aspects. And how to get the materials uh, for Europe. And, uh, <laughs> of course. So they're not gone to China. Yes. Well, and also, like, how are we going to transport them? Um, if the northern route and the southern route might not be as viable anymore. So how, maybe the middle corridor is going to play like, an increasing role there. But... Right now, we're mainly talking about uh, fossil fuels and more about uh, pipelines. So how can we actually also establish the real transportation um, links for goods and, and, and other aspects? Um, and also like to move more into like, the renewable and the more sustainable way, um, not only looking at oil and gas in the future. Um, but then, of course, we come down to like, how the, the region itself can develop in the future. And I think there, um, I mean, the regional integration has already been mentioned quite a lot. Um, further economic uh, integration um, might not be viable in the way that the EU has done it in the past, 
but what is a viable model for the region and what would be feasible? Maybe we should rather be looking at um, more like a smaller group of countries that can actually establish like a free trade zone or um, increased uh, in integration in the economic front. Um, like Belgium, Netherlands and uh, Luxembourg have done before with the Benelux or um, Belgium and Luxembourg before with uh, the monetary union. Um, where that might be a viable option, um, potentially Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan together as a smaller group to start and then to move beyond that. But that's a good question to ask to the next speaker. <laughs> Very good. I'll leave it in to him. <laughs> uh, Mr. Oybek uh, Shaikov uh, is from uh, Uzbekistan. And uh, Uzbekistan has already been mentioned several times. It means uh, when you talk about uh, Kazakhstan, you cannot fail to mention its neighbor, uh, which uh, is smaller in, uh, as a country, but uh, bigger in, uh, in uh, population. And I notice, of course, uh, 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 some sort of uh, competition between the two countries, but I think it's a healthy competition. In any case, I give you the floor. Thank you very much. Um, indeed, so we are, Eurous is uh, the, business, the European Business Association in Uzbekistan. We have a, a partner in Kazakhstan, which is Eurobank. So we are uh, European, we are representing European business interests, so the private sector interests uh, in Uzbekistan. Uh, we try to do it collectively. And uh, one of the questions indeed, so integ economic integration between uh, in Central Asia has, in the last six years, has shown a completely new uh, outlook for the private sector. The private sector is not looking anymore at separate countries, just as EU is not looking uh, really so deeply only as a separate country, but indeed we're looking at the whole region. Uh, what I want to say from our side that we see, because we talk of course with the EU very closely, we talk uh, with the Uzbek government, we talk with the private sector, Uzbekistan and the EU private sector, and we of course see a gap. We still see a gap in uh, in many ways, it's an, an, in understanding uh, the agenda. Business is sometimes still pursuing their own specific uh, industry goals. Um, sanctions are a big challenge. Uh, we had uh, uh, Mr. Sullivan, the um, uh, special EU special reps on sanctions in Uzbekistan, uh, just a couple of months ago. We have organized this roundtable um, with uh, Uzbek and EU businesses, and we see that really there is um, still, yes, there is dialogue, but there is still a lot of work to be done, especially by the EU, I think, uh, to help um, understand uh, the general policy. So we hear a lot about connectivity, about green transformation, about um, transport corridors, but whether it resonates or not on the local level, especially I can speak, of course, only for Uzbekistan, um, I can say not always, because the discussion and the agendas, the way they are positioned by the EU and by the Central Asian countries, sometimes they need more dialogue. And this is what we are trying, of course, to do on our end. We're trying to really um, uh, work on multi-stakeholder engagement. And this is what I want to bring to the table, uh, a discussion of potential of really private sector engagement into the EU policy discussions in Central Asia, but also this multi-party dialogue. With, uh, because sometimes the agendas from the Central Asia and the EU policymakers, they differ substantially. And presence of the economic segment really of the private sector could create uh, little bridges that maybe otherwise 
uh, they would be bridged, but maybe it will take much longer. So this is what mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to maybe discuss. Thank you, thank you, Oybek Shaykhov. I would like uh, now to uh, ask uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Fabienne Bossuy for her uh, perspective. Uh, she's uh, joining us uh, online. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you very much also for inviting me to participate in this very timely discussion. Um, well, um, the main point that I would like to make actually, um, well, concerns the broader geopolitical context, um, but also the idea of the Central Asian countries being sandwiched between Russia and China, because um, I think this is an idea that has to be nuanced because it's widely recognized that the political elites in Central Asia, they master the art of balancing between the competing external powers, and they really have learned to use this competition to their own advantage. Now, when it comes specifically to the impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it's clear that the war has actually paved the way for the Central Asian countries to further advance their so-called multi-vector foreign policies and to reap maximum benefits from the shifting geopolitical situation. Um, now, if we look at Russia, so Russia is aware of its shrinking circle of allies in the post-Soviet space. Um, it's also um, confronted with the effects of the Western sanctions. And this really makes Russia look more than ever towards Central Asia. Ironically, this means that the region also has gained new prominence <clears throat> in the West. Um, and Western actors, especially from the EU, they were very quick to visit the Central Asian countries in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They were somehow hoping to fill the power vacuum that they assumed to be emerging in the region, but they also wanted to secure more access to alternative energy suppliers, um, as well as to critical raw materials, as the EU's energy reliance on Russia is off the table. Now, in recent months, um, as was already uh, mentioned by our colleague uh, from Uzbekistan, we can also add to that agenda <clears throat> the issue of uh, sanctions circumvention, as the Central Asian states are functioning as intermediate, uh, intermediary countries for EU goods, including dual-use goods, going to Russia. Um, so all this shows that the EU at the moment has quite a strong interest-driven agenda towards Central Asia. However, the leverage of the EU over the Central Asian countries it's limited to the point that the interest of Central Asian countries in a partnership with the EU, it's mainly driven by their need to balance between the main external powers, and especially also to avoid that China and Russia become too powerful over them. So comparatively speaking, the EU still has less to offer to Central Asia than China and Russia. Let's also not forget um, that from an ideational standpoint, the political leaders of the Central Asian states, they are much closer to the autocratic regimes in Russia and China than they are to the EU. Um, it's true that the Central Asian states have not openly supported Russia's war against Ukraine, but they have also not openly condemned it. Um, they have not joined the sanctions imposed by the West on Russia. Um, so, to some extent, you could say, yeah, but that's because they don't want to anger Russia. But I think it also provides evidence for the observation that the Central Asian states, they don't blindly follow the West and they very pragmatically weigh off their interests. Um, another interesting question for discussion is, okay, so how can the European Union best advance its agenda in Central Asia? Um, my first response would be, yeah, but what EU agenda? I think we still have to make a 
distinction between a values-based agenda and a more materialistic interest-driven agenda. I think for the former, for the values-based agenda, there's already enough evidence that shows that European Union has very little leverage to successfully promote a values-based agenda in Central Asia. This is not only because of the limited incentives it can offer to the countries, but also because of the fact that Central Asia, in terms of the values, is very different from the EU. Uh, we also already heard it from our colleague from Uzbekistan, even when it comes to, uh, for instance, um, climate uh, resilience, um, green uh, economy, even there, the agendas seem to be quite different. Um, so there seems to be little resonance with um, the values and also some broader um, agendas that the EU is, is promoting. Um, and to some extent, there's even a backlash against those values, if we think, for instance, of democracy. But when it comes to the more materialistic, interest-driven agenda that the EU is currently trying to advance, um, there I think the EU sort of accepts that Russia and China, they will continue to be the main external powers in Central Asia. But the EU is also aware that uh, the leverage that it does have, uh, it's really firmly linked to what the EU can offer to the Central Asian states that can help them counterbalance Russia's and China's involvement. Um, in other words, if the EU wants to advance its agenda in Central Asia, it really needs to play by the rules of the game, meaning that it really has to try to remain a very distinct vector in the multi-vector foreign policies of the Central Asian states. And I will leave it at that for now. Thank you. Thank you, Fabienne Bossu. Well, in terms of uh, uh, values, uh, I think that uh, the EU has, of course, uh, a lot of homework uh, to do among uh, its uh, member states, but uh, that's a very good topic for other Euractive conferences, I'm sure, that we are going to uh, organize. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, last but uh, not least uh, uh, on my uh, list is uh, Timur uh, Sultan Gojin, um, uh, who is uh, co-hosting with me this uh, conference uh, uh, because we, we are holding it with the support of the uh, Mission of Kazakhstan. Uh, quite interesting issues uh, raised until now. Uh, I'm sure that uh, 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 this is also an occasion for you to answer uh, some of the comments. Well, uh, thank you, Mr. Moderator. Thank you, Euroactive team, for putting this important event together. I think it is uh, very crucial to, to meet uh, time to time to discuss not only between the uh, diplomats, politics, and the journalists, but also with a view of uh, academics. Uh, I would like to just reflect shortly on uh, your question that you have asked, uh, why uh, the agenda between Central Asia and Kazakhstan, uh, between Central Asia, Kazakhstan, and the EU has uh, gained uh, the momentum so fast. Uh, I think one of the one of the questions, one of the answers would be uh, the presentation made by uh, uh, esteemed Peter Ustups. And uh, uh, to be frank, what the, the points that were raised uh, by uh, by you, Peter, uh, very much reflect uh, the same points that I would like to mention right now. So we feel the genuine interest of both the EU and Central Asia and Kazakhstan to move towards uh, the agenda that is, uh, which will benefit and will uh, bring a sustainable growth, uh, transition security, and many other benefits for, for the uh, two regions. So uh, we should definitely seize the opportunity 
that these um, uh, geopolitical uh, conditions provide right now. And uh, some of the speakers mentioned rightly that uh, indeed uh, the, uh, there is a chance that uh, every crisis creates an opportunity. And uh, we, uh, we feel that there is a mutual interest uh, to, to, to move towards uh, each other. A uh, few things very shortly. So the first thing I would like to mention is we are interested in building strong strategic partnership. And uh, here I would like to just uh, recall uh, a, a message from uh, President Ursula von der Leyen that she has video recorded for the uh, Bishkek Economic Forum in 2021. She said, Central Asia matters to Europe, and Europe matters to Central Asia. So I think in these uh, few years, uh, this message has even gained more strength. Uh, some of the colleagues mentioned uh, the, the dynamics of the Central Asia and EU dialogue. That is very true. Uh, the, the, the meeting in uh, Shulpanata in Kyrgyzstan on the 2nd of June gave a, a serious uh, boost to, to, to many uh, topics of our, of our uh, mutual cooperation. Uh, the, the thing that uh, uh, the um, joint declaration mentioned that there is an intention to hold next year a full-fledged summit that would, uh, that would mean uh, the presence of uh, both presidents of the European Union uh, and uh, we really hope uh, that this, this, this will see the future. Uh, bilaterally, uh, we have very dynamic uh, exchange both on the political, trade, economic uh, uh, agenda. You have rightly mentioned that a uh, few of the uh, vice presidents visited Kazakhstan, but not only, also Uzbekistan and, uh, and other regions, other countries. Uh, but one important event that uh, took place is also the visit of uh, uh, Euro Commissioner uh, Mr. Wojciechowski who is the Agricultural Commissioner in the European Union. He attended the Astana Economic Forum. Yes, yes, and uh, this is something that is uh, opening up a new uh, and very perspective uh, point of our cooperation in the future. And just to mention that uh, Minister Nutleu, the new Minister of Foreign Affairs, visited uh, Brussels uh, on the 15th of May, and he had a very productive uh, meeting with uh, uh, Commissioner Johansson for the Home Affairs. Uh, one of the big steps that I think is, uh, is important not only for Kazakhstan but for Central Asia is that we have launched and we are planning to launch the negotiations on, on easing the visa, visa regime for Kazakh citizens. Let me stop here and move to the next point that I would like to point out is we call it more access, less barriers. So in a, in a, in a very uh, uh, changing dynamic of trade and logistics, what we need right now is, is the removal of, uh, is, uh, is easing and removal of possible trade barriers. And uh, my, speaker, my colleague uh, here, Oybek, mentioned some of that. This is very important. We need easier travel, easier, e easy, easy visas, and uh, avoid negative impact of sanctions on the Central Asian economies. We, the economies are already under tremendous pressure due to, to, to this. Uh, it is also very important to, to, to build on the capacity, capacity building for the small and medium uh, uh, enterprises to be able to trade and to be able to access the European market. This is something that we need to look forward. This will have a tremendous positive impact on the economy of the Central Asia. Third point, let's try to turn landlockedness 
into land linkedness. By that, also uh, uh, Peter mentioned uh, the uh, middle corridor and the finalization of the EBRD feasibility study. We really look forward to, to its uh, final report and uh, to the, uh, to the um, uh, investment conference, perhaps in the beginning of uh, next year. But what is important to mention is that we, uh, Kazakhstan, and I think uh, it would be also fair to mention all other uh, Central Asian states, we, on, we not only want to be the transit states, we want to be uh, supply chain hubs. And this is something that we need to look uh, while we uh, make uh, and uh, draft uh, the common programs for that. Uh, we, we would really welcome the, uh, the global uh, gateway uh, agenda taking a, a, a real implementation in, in, in our region. The fourth one is the energy and critical raw material in exchange for technology. So when we're talking about critical raw materials, we, we also talk about the technology. And Lynn, you rightly mentioned that it has to be a very uh, uh, nature-friendly, green, and uh, sustainable technology that would allow to, to extract and, and cooperate in the critical raw materials. We have signed the memorandum, the action plan is there, so we just look forward to, to, uh, to cooperate uh, on that with the European Union. We also have a very big ambition to, to reach the carbon neutrality by 2060, uh, which, is, uh, which is very ambitious for taking into account the challenges that Kazakhstan and Central Asia face, but let's hope uh, this is going to, uh, to find a, a right implementation. The, the fifth point is, uh, is the, and it's the last one, uh, it's a climate change and a green transition. So uh, uh, you, uh, Georgi, mentioned uh, that in the beginning, and thank you for your words uh, uh, regarding the, uh, the tragic events that happened in the eastern Kazakhstan. This is something to have a very direct uh, link with the growing challenges that our region is facing with regard to the climate change. Uh, water is one of, the, one of the issues, of course, but uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, we should try to also find a way to cooperate on emergencies also to, to cooperate on the crisis management. This is uh, uh, something that we would be uh, willing to, to, to work with our European partners. And finally, just to mention that uh, President Tokayev uh, at the Astana International Forum mentioned uh, an idea, an initiative, to hold the Regional Climate Summit in Kazakhstan in, in 2026 under the auspices of the United Nations. So we will... Uh, reach out to our partners and to our European, part, European partners to work on that together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Timur. By the way, this is Timur, this is Oybek, this is Lin, and this is Petris. And uh, I'm Georgi and Fabian is online. Please uh, interact even uh, between uh, yourselves uh, and uh, uh, let's, let's uh, uh, move on with the lively uh, discussion. Uh, let's start with the difficult question with the sanctions. Uh, it, was, it was mentioned uh, by Oybek uh, and also uh, uh, Fabienne uh, uh, and uh, uh, Timur. Uh, my question would be to Petris. Uh, uh, we know that this visit uh, to the region of uh, the Special Representative O'Sullivan was was very important. Uh, can you can you tell us uh, more or less uh, what did he tell them? I mean, this is a list of the products that you should not uh, um, allow uh, to be re-exported re in Russia, or, or how how was it? I would tell more if I would have been there. So. <laughs> 
But uh, what what we know and and uh, what uh, what we see um, uh, internal discussions, including with uh, high, uh, special representative David O'Sullivan, um, it was alluded also um, uh, already that there is a need for dialogue. So of course, in some cases, probably uh, Brussels might be. Uh, seen very far from Central Asia, uh, and, and uh, sanctions imposed on Russia might be very far away, uh, and probably, uh, let's say, not explaining the content, explaining what uh, the EU is uh, looking for, uh, always keeps some kind of, um, let's say, doors open for, for misinterpretation or misunderstandings. So first of all, um, establishing direct links with authorities. Secondly, raising uh, and delivering very concrete and straightforward political messages to the political leadership in Central Asia, what the sanction policy of the EU is all about. Thirdly, uh, I think the good outcome of, of that process or that visit is that each of the governments uh, David O'Sullivan visited appointed concrete uh, contact points with whom to interact, either to look for some kind of clarifications or who in the system would be the most appropriate person to contact and engage uh, when, when different topics need to be addressed. And last but not least, uh, I think um, also the, uh, let's say, uh, better explanation of uh, the system, best, uh, better explanation of the, uh, let's say, different uh, customs codexes and the digital presentation of the things uh, on, on the sanctions really uh, helps to understand each other. What is in the basket, what is out of the basket, and how... Uh, let's say the different goods uh, in the classification should be looked at. Um, so um, I see that that uh, visit was very uh, useful. I, I think it was useful for the EU, uh, but I'm also sure that it was pretty useful as the contact point with uh, with Central Asia. Thank you. Uh, now I would like to ask uh, Fabienne for her perspective. Fabienne, you mentioned uh, Russia's interest in, in Kazakhstan in the region as a whole, and uh, also in the in the context of uh, sanctions. Uh, uh, I think uh, your, your contribution uh, would be valuable at this point. Uh, um, the floor is yours. Thank you. Um, yes. Um, well. To come back to what uh, I, I uh, mentioned in my introductory remarks, um, I mean, some commentators were quick to say that Russia's uh, influence in the region um, has been um, yeah, decreasing uh, rapidly. Um, well, I know uh, quite a few experts who would argue the contrary and uh, who believe that uh, Russia's influence in Central Asia is still very strong and is likely to remain quite strong um, and uh, the, the war uh, is not going to change this. Um, so when it comes to the sanctions, um, yeah, it's clear that um, Putin and, and, and well, the Kremlin, um, they have of course uh, tried also uh, in Central Asia to, um, to, to look for support uh, in trying to evade the sanctions. Um, 
I mean, I don't know, of course, to what extent uh, they were successful in promoting that agenda, um, but uh, the, the data are there. Um, the, the statistics uh, clearly are showing that there is a high degree of uh, sanctions invasion, um, by the way, not only uh, via Central Asia, also via the South Caucasus, uh, also via some um, Arab countries. Um, yeah, of course, um, I think for the EU, it's very challenging actually to try and stop this. And so there's, of course, the idea of uh, secondary sanctions, something that both the US and the EU are considering. Um, but this comes with a, with, with a serious risk. Um, does the EU really want to then um, risk undermining um, its partnership with the Central Asian states um, if they would uh, move uh, forward with this and, 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 and impose secondary san sanctions on countries that supposedly are helping um, sanctions evasion uh, by Russia. Um, so this is something, especially in light of the positive dynamics that we're witnessing in uh, the, the partnership uh, between the EU and the Central Asian countries, this is some, it's a serious question and, and, and uh, it's also clear that there is not yet any consensus on this issue uh, within the Council of, um, and also within the European Council. So the member states are very divided on this. And I think um, there are some yeah, clear um, indications why, because uh, there is indeed this risk that uh, the EU might undermine the positive dynamic that we are currently witnessing in uh, the EU's uh, relationship with the Central Asian states. That's clear. Uh, now, jumping from uh, Russia to China, Lin, maybe, uh, you, can, you could tell us uh, your perspective. Uh, okay, there is a lot of competition uh, bet between the geopolitical powers. And uh, in the case of uh, Central Asia, uh, well, uh, Europe also has its uh, interest. I mean, critical raw materials uh, w were mentioned. Um, this uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which uh, uh, in the European language is more called uh, connectivity, as Petters uh, explained, and has a lot to do with improving uh, uh, the digital connections. Uh, what is your take on um, um, this uh, battlefield uh, uh, between elephants uh, uh, happening uh, in, uh, in Central Asia? Uh, namely between China and, uh, and other geopolitical players, including Europe? Um, well, I'm not sure whether we should call it a battlefield, or at least not yet. Not yet. Um, <laughs> um, but, I mean, there is indeed a huge competition going on. And I think also that, the, as already mentioned, the, the geostrategic location of Central Asia is thereby playing a really important role. Um, of course, China has a desperate need uh, for materials, for raw materials, for oil, for gas. Um, so the economic needs are definitely high on the agenda there. Um, but of course, that counts the same thing um, as for, for Europe. So um, to that extent, I do agree that there is um, a huge competition going on. Um, but there's also a, a diversification going on. And uh, that's something that you have been seeing um, recently in the region specifically. Central Asia and the Central Asian states are really looking at diversifying. They don't want to be depending on either Russia specifically or on China um, or on the EU for that matter. Um, so to that extent, um, I think they're rather also de-risking to that extent, um, reducing the risks of that competition and um, looking into more diversifying and seeing maybe 
being very careful of what they want from each um, player and actor in that role, um, I mean, in that region specifically. And diversifying also means um, balancing those interests. So what are also the interests from the EU side? And I think that is something that really needs to be very clear on our side. And what can we offer Central Asia rather than Russia or China? And I think that's probably something that um, is a thinking process or a work in progress at the moment, which probably 10 years ago was not as much in the stakes. But these days, um, I mean, as we see like the increased uh, different fora, different meetings, um, different also like type of negotiations and different type of topics that are coming up in the uh, discussions between the EU and Central Asia or bilaterally. Um, so we really see a changing dynamic there as well. And yes, there is a competition with China. China has its own interests, its own stakes, but the EU has theirs as well. But we have our way of doing things and China has its way of doing things. Uh, maybe uh, Timur or Petrus would like to say uh, something to illustrate this. I mean, it's, it's a matter of uh, value chains. It's, it's a ma matter of, uh, uh, I would say, uh, 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 corporate uh, responsibility. It's a matter of... Uh, uh, respect uh, for uh, environmental norms uh, and, and so on. Uh, in, in that sense, uh, uh, the EU has something to offer, and I think Kazakhstan realizes uh, uh, the difference between uh, the two um, philosophies, if I can say so. Uh, you want to say uh, something? Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for, for this. Uh this point, I think there are several elements to, to, to add or to what we already discussed. Um, uh, from one side, we have to look at uh, Central Asia and Kazakhstan at really multi-layer ways. Uh, this is not just, uh, let's say, one project, one process, uh, one activity ongoing. It is really multi-layer. Um, because you can't really detach different things uh, and say this is one priority and the rest uh, will come at certain uh, other moment. Uh, for instance, yes, we can talk a lot uh, about critical raw materials, but uh, you need to process them potentially and you need to bring them out. So for processing what kind of technologies you will use, what kind of potential routes you are going to use. That leads to next point, what kind of energy resources will be used for potential production of the raw materials, and then which, let's say, transit routes uh, uh, might go. So you see that actually all those things are interlinked in between, uh, and we need to uh, really tackle them not in a sequence and say we will deal with them in the future, but we need to tackle them at the same time. And I think one of the key words um, which needs to be unpacked, and probably today it's too short to do it, but is really the sustainability. And uh, I think uh, it is for the governments of uh, Central Asia to really think about the sustainability part. Uh, Timur already alluded to the point Yes, critical raw materials, yes, more cooperation, but also technology. So I think the technological part, which is link and bridge to the sustainability, 
is something what the European Union can bring to Central Asia and bring to the table and say, yes, we would like to, to come and cooperate on those terms. And that includes energy, that includes uh, other, other elements. I want to comment, if I may, also on another element. Um, there is a need also for by far more cooperation between Central Asian governments. So uh, I don't want to make another, <laughs> let's say, pre-advertisement uh, uh, of, of the study but of the EBRD on the transport corridor. But so much things could be done and should be done in Central Asia between the governments to ensure that either transport is moving forward quickly, either this, the, the customs procedures are streamlined, either the documents are put uh, in place in a digital format. All of that could be done in the region to ensure that actually transport is seamless. And it is not only about transport towards Europe. It is the transport in between. It is creating some kind of internal market of Central Asia. Uh, Central Asian governments want to be uh, also, let's say, giving more to, to, the, to, uh, uh, to the growth internally in Central Asia and becoming, let's say, one of the things or in wider sense to, let's say, supply chains. There is a potential also for Central Asia to become uh, let's say uh, production base in so many play in so many ways, but regional cooperation in that respect will need to be uh, really advanced. So uh, and that will be important for for uh, transport corridor. It will be important for moving different goods, including the raw materials. That's uh, that's Short Timur, comment. please. Yeah. Well. Uh, of course, you know, uh, talking about the uh, development of critical raw materials in Central Asia and Kazakhstan is an important topic. But obviously, uh, there is a huge potential for this cooperation with China. Um, we all understand that China is a very demanding, growing, and a big market. So having a border with this uh, enormous market uh, dictates uh, the uh, uh, possibilities that we we, we, we have uh, in that uh, direction but uh, as uh, Peter is rightly mentioned uh, right now uh, European Union has uh, some advantages for example uh, half uh, think half of the FDIs that are already placed into Central Asia are uh, arriving from from the European Union uh, some of the uh, greenest and newest technologies are available that are available right now in the critical raw materials uh, sector are also of European origin. So at the moment, I think uh, the European Union uh, is able uh, to to uh, act and uh, to to uh, to cooperate even more closely with us. And uh, regarding the intra-regional cooperation, indeed. Uh, I think the, one of the big topics uh, for the next meeting of the heads of Central Asian states, which is called the consultative meeting, will happen in September in Tajikistan and Dushanbe. So one of the big topics will be, of course, the, uh, uh, the transportation, and the trade, and the uh, deeper integration within the region. Thank you. Thanks. That's, that was very useful. Uh, I, I was going uh, to, um, to ask uh, uh, Oybek, uh, um, whether uh, he thinks that uh, uh, there is a perspective for an internal mar market of uh, Central Asia as he represents uh, another important country of 
of uh, Central Asia. I remember I, I attended the first meeting of uh, the leaders of the Central Asian countries, I think it was uh, five, uh, five years ago, and uh, um, a, lot, a lot of things have changed in the meantime, but uh, uh, still five years is a, is a, is a short period of uh, time for building an internal market. We know it from the experience of the European Union. Uh, so uh, what is uh, uh, your perspective uh, regarding uh, uh, this expectation from, from the European Union that it will be much easier to deal with uh, Central Asia if the countries uh, were much better connected, that they would function as one? Uh, <clears throat> I'll bring up here one conversation I had with an uh, EU ambassador in uh, Uzbekistan when the first EU delegation office opened in 2012. Um, I told it was Norbert Justin, uh, now retired, uh, Belgian, uh, very experienced uh, diplomat. And uh, I asked him why it's been only 20-something years, 20 few year, uh, two years, and we are so far apart with Kazakhstan to Tajikistan. And said, Oybek, it's only been 22 years. That's why you're so far apart. Wait, time will come when uh, things will reverse. And of course, uh, when things changed in Uzbekistan, when the new uh, government came, um, things started to change in Central Asia. Uh, today, we see in the uh, five years, it's indeed, it's not a long time. Nonetheless, the, it's, it's the intent and the political will in Central Asia, uh, which defines a lot of uh, progress, yes. Um, but uh, on another side, I want to also go back just one step here on the critical resources uh, part. For example, there is a big difference in the world view when you look at Central Asia and European Union, the way even we have uh, discussed it. So this is a very good example of, of the uh, little gaps that we have identified as a private sector. Is that, for example, Uzbekistan and uh, uh, Timur here mentioned also the importance of the way technology plays when it comes to the development of, of uh, critical materials. We, in Central Asia, um, the governments, they don't just want to export uh, materials. They want to export added value products, ultimately. Some sectors it's not possible where we need technologies right now, especially from Europe, especially on the complex uh, uh, sectors uh, like mining, like... Uh, 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 very rare uh, metals which are present there have not been mined. But on other sectors, we are really looking at from Central Asian perspective and say, how can Europe play a role to create a market, an added value market, which would then connect to the generation of the local, uh, uh, local regional market indeed as well. And then, of course, that will project the way Europe would play uh, a much bigger role than just a consumer of the, of the uh, materials which are being produced. And this is ultimately the view of Uzbekistan especially. We say, how can we build a strategy of relationship with the European Union over the next 10, 15 years to really bring in not only the technologies, but really to bring in a creation of added value products that, which would then integrate in the European economy uh, copper products, not just copper, but actually copper products that would integrate in, in uh, uh, European automotive industry, for example. So this is the way uh, Central Asia is really looking at the same perspective. Teres, you wanted to react? Yeah, um, very quickly, um, I think this is the um, new tendency we, uh, we see uh, related to the critical raw materials. 
Uh, either it would be Central Asia, either it would be Asia more widely, uh, or it would be Latin America or Africa. Uh, all those countries uh, who are processing uh, significant uh, critical raw materials are interested in something more than just being a country of extraction. So uh, countries want really to become uh, the places for uh, processing, initial, at least initial processing of the raw materials. And from there already, uh, let's say, either uh, move to, to some kind of initial production uh, or, or other things. So um, making sure that there is more value added left in the country of origin of, of those materials. And there again, I think it would be, um, it will be, a huge uh, decision to be taken by, by the governments. Um, it will be the decision in Central Asia, it will be decisions elsewhere, because everyone around the world will look at how these critical raw materials are uh, reprocessed. What kind of energy resources are being used for, for that processing uh, process? Um, either those are green, either those are, let's say, traditional, uh, uh, on, based on, on, on uh, traditional energy resources um, and by greening that process early on will ensure that actually the, the products will have completely different kind of value added. And there again I do believe that uh, European Union is having an edge uh, to offer and to see already at the outs, uh, out, uh, very early in the process with Central Asian governments to say, look, uh, yes, processing on the basis of uh, technologies which will ensure that your, uh, let's say, process critical raw materials are green uh, in compliance with the uh, new regulations we have in the European Union as well on, uh, on uh, let's say, more carbon neutral uh, products which are of, of great importance. Again, I think this is the second part uh, for uh, for our cooperation with Central Asia. Thank you. I, I couldn't resist. Uh, this is an old article I, I wrote. Well, it's not, not so old. It's a few months ago. But uh, Kazakh officials uh, told the EU we can supply all 30 critical raw materials you need. I think that's a title. Huh? Uh, it, uh, it was a blockbuster. <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, I would like to uh, come to... Um, uh, the questions from the audience, uh, and uh, uh, I have um, questions on three diff different topics. Uh, one is visas. So uh, basically, Ellen Lloyd is asking us uh, uh, why uh, discussions or progress on, on visa liberalization uh, are, are so slow. Uh, another one is on the um, central corridor. Uh, uh, do you think the EU can play a coordinating role and speed up the Trans-Caspian Corridor, asks Anna-Maria Tuta. And uh, I have a question from Irina uh, Kustova from SEPS. Uh, the question is basically about uh, energy transition, uh, cleaner uh, energy. Uh, basically, um, uh, what complementarity can be achieved uh, between the efforts of Kazakhstan and what the European uh, Union is doing? Who is volunteering to uh, take the floor on one of the questions? Fabienne, uh, uh, the question. Uh, you, you are, 
uh, you are online, but uh, it also, if you want to answer one of those questions, or I will assign. Uh, um, okay, uh, in terms okay. of visa liberalization, I will ask the Commission. <laughs> I somehow suspected <laughs> that, that you will ask about visas. Um, look, um, visa liberalization process um, is, is a very complex one. Uh, it's not an easy process, and uh, usually it takes quite a long time. Uh, it is not, uh, let's say, decisions uh, what the EU uh, or the Commission could take on its own uh, very quickly overnight, and tomorrow morning uh, there would be country XYZ on the green list, uh, provided that there is no visa, visa liberalization, uh, no, no visas anymore. Um, it takes, first of all, uh, let's say the need for the proposal from, from the Commission. Uh, it takes a lot of uh, work to be done uh, with the respective countries' institutions to ensure that we understand each other. Uh, there are certain requirements uh, what, what we uh, uh, require from the countries to indicate or, or provide uh, to ensure uh, in order to proceed to, to, to certain certain next level. And then after all of that, this comes to the table of the member states. So, um, mm -hmm. and uh, things uh, not always tend to be quick uh, in the council. Uh, so it takes some time uh, for, uh, for the member states to discuss. Uh, yes, in some cases, the visa liberalization process takes quite a long time. On the other hand, there are uh, cases where actually it, uh, it moves uh, forward uh, more smoothly. It all depends, let's say, from all those aspects. I don't want to blame anyone, but uh, somehow, let's say, the process is sometimes give and take between different regions uh, of interest might, uh, might move forward uh, more smoothly. I think the good news uh, for today is that we move to the next step with Kazakhstan. Uh, actually, this is kind of uh, door opener for entire region. Uh, probably this somehow escaped that news of the 15th of, of uh, May when the Foreign Minister of Kazakhstan was in town and, and met uh, Commissioner Johansson, where it was actually discussed and came out of the meeting. But for Central Asia, actually, it is a big thing. Uh, it is a big uh, moment uh, that we are engaging in something completely new, what you mentioned, people-to-people contact, people-people to exchanges. Of course, visa liberalization not always means now everyone have full access uh, and no visas. There are also certain steps, there are certain processes. We can work on the businesses, we can work on the youth, we can work on the students. So there are many other, let's say, steps what we can, we can do to ensure that, yes, let's say, exchanges happen, happen more freely. Um, let's look at this as a positive moment and not as complicated moment. I'm sure that uh, when liberalization will happen, we will have direct flights uh, to the countries of the region. That would be great indeed. Uh, Lynn, do you want uh, to, uh, 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 to provide uh, uh, insight on uh, 
the middle corridor, uh, as the question was asked, whether the EU should take leadership. I think to a certain extent the EBRD is, is, is now in the driving seat. They are producing, uh, you know, important reports and so on. But uh, I think uh, when you imagine uh, this corridor, you have to imagine uh, the port city of Aktau on the Caspian Sea. And uh, uh, you, you will have to realize that there is poor I infrastructure. The, there are not, not enough ferry boats or uh, there is no capacity to build such. Uh, so uh, who, who, who is going to do that? I know that the European is, Union is very good at providing funding, but um, uh, how, how, how do you see it? What is your take? Well, I guess the first question is maybe towards the Commission uh, is like, is there a willingness to do so? And is there a willingness to actually, I mean, really invest there? Um, and I guess, well, maybe the EBRD report will also um, provide some insights in that. Um, I think, well, indeed, there's a lot of infrastructure to be built, which is, on the one hand, maybe a risk, but also an opportunity. Because, of course, like, um, this can be done uh, in a very sustainable way, in a good way. Um, but there's also some choking points. And I think especially, um, I mean, it's not only uh, Kazakhstan who is uh, in the driver's seat there or who can decide. Of course, it has to pass through a number of different countries with all different interests, with all different, um, I mean, well, they also want to have that add value, like you mentioned. So, um, I mean, the, the infrastructure is one thing, but also, of course, like the political willingness and the political relations between um, the countries that are involved there is important. Uh, we really see um, an increased focus on it, especially since, of course, like the war in Ukraine. Um, but the question is, uh, it's going to be a process. So it might take some time. I mean, building infrastructure takes time anyways. Um, the question, is there the willingness? Or not? Yeah, I mean, Petris will, will tell us and also, Petris, if you can uh, touch upon the question of uh, uh, the cleaner energy, uh, perhaps uh, we didn't have the time to discuss uh, uh, the, the uh, green hydrogen uh, project. But uh, what I was told when I was in Astana was that uh, basically 20,000 uh, kilometers uh, are, uh, Kazakhstan makes available for such a project. That's about half the size of uh, Latvia, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Um, uh, because to produce green energy, you need uh, a green source of, uh, uh, of energy, and, and that's solar energy in that sense. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the, the floor is yours to try to answer that question. Yeah, I, will, I will be very, very quick on, 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 um, on the corridor and then on the energy. Uh, very quick answer. First of all, the study by EBRD has been commissioned by the, uh, by the European Union. So... Uh, this was already the first step indicating that the European Commission has an interest in transit corridor. Uh, so this is uh, EU, uh, EU Commission study, so therefore we have an interest. Secondly, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, this is not just to have a nice book in the shelf uh, and say there is another study uh, and I will have to look at it time to time uh, when I think about Central Asia. Uh, with some uh, nice uh, pictures in it. Um, it is a very practical guide. This is what uh, we expected uh, from, uh, from the EBRD study that provides us very clear indications on soft infrastructure, what needs to be uh, developed. We have very clear picture on what kind of hard infrastructure needs to be uh, developed. It has price tags linked to different things. 
therefore, our interest is to play a role, uh, but not only saying here is the European Commission and we would, we would like to do it. We would like to uh, operate as convening power together with our contribution and organize this investors forum. As you said, it will not be one-off event. It has to be long-term, but we have to start somewhere. Uh, we need to, to provide our partners uh, all across to ensure that actually they are well aware of, of this study. Uh, they need to reflect upon it. And then later we can assemble them around the table and say, here is the study, how we are going to proceed, what exactly we can do at what kind of time frames. Let's be frank, there are projects, and you will see when you will study the, um, the, um, the document, there are things which are palatable and bankable and could move forward. As I said, there are soft uh, infrastructure things, what could be done relatively soon. Uh, but there are other things which are mentioned as requirement for transit corridor to operate, and I want to stress that the study is not only about middle corridor, it is about entire Central Asia. The study provides contacts and links and routes for all five. Um, they will need to be developed. Uh, they will, it is clearly mapped out what needs to be done, but there will be also important work to be done to make them bankable. It will take time, but uh, uh, you need to start somewhere. Hold uh, back one minute and then Timur one minute. No, hold back first. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, um, very briefly, uh, reference to another study that was done two years ago and published also, I think, uh, on the request of EU, it was by OECD. Uh, 2021, so before uh, the war in Ukraine, um, very clearly that document outlined that the economies in Central Asia are developing way faster than uh, the, the infrastructure is developing indeed. I doubt that situation has changed. It has been become even worse considering that the uh, existing important uh, transport corridors for the EU are no longer in, in, in used in the same way or can be used in the same way. So this is one thing. Another thing is capacity building. So this is where I want to come back to the issue discussed a few times here, capacity building, and that's where I think EU could do much, much more uh, because, of course, already IFIs play a very important role, EBRD um, and other IFIs, which are financing infrastructure, but PPPs is the next step. And that's where uh, we have, as Eurooz, Together with our members, we opened a first PPP academy in Uzbekistan last week. I was in Tashkent. And there, I think EU could also do much more to interact with the local private uh, capital in, in the EU to really develop that capacity in much more efficient, much more wide range than it has so far engaged. Timur, you will have your one minute, but you will speak last and uh, uh, have the chance to wrap it up. Uh, Fabian has her last minute. Okay, maybe I can just briefly say a few things uh, about the visa liberalization. Um, because, um, of course, we already have a full visa liberalization, uh, visa free, free travel um, for three of the Eastern Partnership countries, namely Ukraine, um, Georgia, and Moldova. Um, and if really we would now be going in a direction that also uh, a Central Asian country, namely Kazakhstan, um, would enter into this process of visa uh, liberalization. 
characterization, then I think this would be a major milestone in the uh, relationship between the EU and Central Asia. Um, now, to come back to also what uh, the representative from the European Commission um, mentioned, um, there is, of course, a certain conditionality attached to this. Um, and this is another matter uh, already for uh, Ukraine, Moldova and Georgia. Um, it was rather challenging uh, to meet all the requirements that the EU uh, imposes uh, if we want to have this um, visa liberalization. Um, therefore, I would be a bit less optimistic. Um, so I think we really also need to take that aspect into account. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And now, Timur, the floor is yours. Well, Georgi, I'll just make a very short comment and I'll just want to say that uh, Kazakhstan has not been sitting idle what it, when it comes in terms to the development of the middle corridor. So uh, uh, at the initiative of the uh, countries that are involved uh, specifically in, uh, in, uh, in this uh, bottleneck between Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Georgia and Turkey. So these countries together have, uh, have created a joint venture is, uh, the, the, the goal is to optimize and to, to remove these all possible bottlenecks when it comes to standards, customs, uh, ability to, to uh, um, uh, process the goods as soon as possible, because this is a multimodal uh, corridor that needs to operate quicker. And in last uh, few years, we have seen a, a dramatic growth in the transportation via the middle corridor. So middle corridor is not something that we are planning to develop. It is something that already exists, but needs uh, some uh, investments and uh, know-how and uh, coordination between the countries to, to, to become even more effective. So uh, just, I think, uh, even this week, our Prime Minister is traveling to Azerbaijan and Georgia, where one of the items will be, of course, the uh, middle corridor and uh, the need to remove all possible uh, bottlenecks as soon as possible. Thank you. There is one sentence. One sentence. Um, just to um, uh, comment what Timo said, what determination can achieve? Uh, Kazakhstan took very, uh, very seriously this, those bottleneck uh, issues within the country. And in one year, since last year, the transit time in Kazakhstan alone moved down from 12 days to 6 days today. And the, the plan for Kazakhstan is to move to 5 days by the end of 2023. It is all only internal processes. But if we see at that, let's say, at the regional level, so we can uh, definitely understand what kind of impact, uh, let's say, capacity building, soft measures and political will can bring. So it is <laughs> middle corridor at the end is not always billions to be invested in hard infrastructure. Very often it is also something what we can do with, within the, the existing parameters, ensuring that the transport is flowing uh, let's say uh, smoothly. Over. Thank you. Thank you. We are a few minutes be, uh, behind time, but uh, uh, that's why I'll be very brief. I will just uh, read the title of our conference and say two words. How the European Union is advancing its agenda in Central Asia, uh, Kazakhstan's role in international cooperation, there's huge potential, yes, and together we can do a lot of things. Thank you very much and redirective. <laughs>